This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Infrastructure Week finally happened. After years of being a punchline or shorthand way of referring to Washington gridlock, Congress passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill and President Joe Biden will sign it this coming Monday. Then comes another hard part, getting all those roads paved, bridge repaired, and what have you. One of the key figures who will make that happen is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, a former South Bend, Indiana mayor and 2020 presidential candidate, is an unapologetic policy nerd. He's also the first millennial to be a cabinet secretary. And CQ Roll Call staff writer Jessica Werman has been observing him from her post as our transportation reporter. She's going to join us on political theater to discuss what the infrastructure bill does, the challenges uh, to making it actually all work, and her observations on Buttigieg. A little later on, I'll discuss the new documentary Mayor Pete with filmmaker Jesse Moss. The movie, which starts streaming on Amazon on Friday, takes an in-depth look at Buttigieg's 2020 presidential run and offers some pretty candid looks at his personal life, particularly his marriage to husband Chasten. But first, Jessica Wehrman. Hi, Jess. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm not too bad. I liked your lead-up because it made me think, I got this image of Mayor Pete driving like a bulldozer with his little hard hat on. or I don't know how you fill in a pothole, like with a little spatula type of thing. I don't know, really. But you, there was a good visual there. So, so it, and in this documentary that I, I spoke to... Uh, did you get uh, a Jesse, sneak peek at it? I, I did. I got a sneak peek of Pete. Uh, oh. uh, and uh, talking to the filmmaker, it's uh, it, it's interesting. There are There are images from his time in South Bend because he was still mayor when he was running for president and he literally has like a shovel and he's like filling, you know, street, you know, fill and Does he own like a that. giant scissors? Uh, I didn't, there was none of that. He oh. he actually looked like he liked to get dirty as opposed <laughs> to just like snipping the ribbon. Which uh, is not really something you think of with Mayor Pete. You don't think of him, you think of him right. as like a nice little nerdy policy guy. So. Right, right. Exactly. Not with a spatula <laughs> filling in the potholes. Yeah. I guess there's a spat. I don't really, there's probably or, a better or term for it. more of a shovel. Or, well, Maybe yeah. a shovel. I don't yeah. really know. I've never really filled in a pothole, so. <laughs> me <can't>. neither, me <laughs> neither. But, but, but before, that's, that's actually a good segue because like he will, I mean, I'm guessing you're right. He is going to do some ceremonial stuff. The Democrats, I think, are oh, yeah. hoping that some good press with the infrastructure uh, bill as it gets implemented will help them in their political future. The 2022 uh, midterm elections are right uh, out, out there. But let's talk about, like, you You have a story uh, that, that's on uh, roll call now that uh, is a, is in front of the paywall. And and um, and you talk about what, uh, yeah, we, it was very difficult to get this thing passed, even just this year among Democrats. But now comes, you know, this thing where we actually have to get money from the Treasury to the Highway Trust Fund and all this, like, crazy stuff. What are what are some of the obstacles that Mayor Pete, or Secretary Pete, as it were, uh, and his team and the rest of the federal government will have in getting these uh, shovels full of asphalt, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> For him get to get this. I'm going to just keep saying spatula, spatula just because I don't know. I, I just like the image of it. Anyway. Did you cook eggs this morning? Is no, that spatula I didn't. Is I don't know it? why this is just, it's sort of a weird, so sorry, podcast <laughs> listeners. Anyway, um, 
so this is gonna this is a huge bill, right? This yeah. is five hundred and fifty billion. And that's just the new spending part. So mm-hmm. that's in addition to all the old authorized stuff, because you know, you had a surface transportation bill in here, you had water bills. Um, so it's a ton of new spending. And I would put these into two little categories. One is a category that easy stuff to spend, meaning we're taking, for example, we're taking Jason Dick's bank account and just making it a lot bigger. So all of the pots of money are there. They're just bigger. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a pretty easy part because you don't really, I mean, you don't have to pass new rules. You don't have to do any of the legislative rigmarole. Mm -hmm. Um, You just have to spend money and send it out basically in this case to DOTs and say, okay, DOT, spend the money. Now you'll notice- State and local DOTs. State and local DOTs. I I say state, but the states kind of divvy it out too. Uh, So that's, one part. And then the other part is all the new stuff. Mm-hmm. For example, there's money for broadband. We didn't really have money for broadband before. So that's right. $65 billion, Make sure I don't say a million because it's just such, these are such big numbers that B, it kind B, of... B, B, Yeah, $65 billion for broadband. You, and, and is broadband important these days? A little bit, <laughs> With actually, all the, all the it, zooming we're doing? <laughs> as it turns out, we kind of need the internet at this point. Um, and the pandemic has really sort of highlighted that. So there's that. There's things like there is money in the bill for sort of making uh, transportation, which is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, yeah, that's my like. That's and I believe I believe Secretary Buttigieg discussed this uh, and at the climate change conference uh, in in Glasgow, which he attended this week. In both the U.S. and U.K. economies, transportation is the single largest sector contributing greenhouse gas emissions. In other words, it can be measured as the biggest part of our challenge which obligates us and invites us to be a big part of the solution. Electric vehicles, sustainable fuels, public transit, we are working to make sure all of these play a larger role in our transportation systems. But we can't do any of this work alone. The special relationship between our two countries has helped us to weather economic recessions, terrorist threats, and two world wars. And it's just as vital today in our shared fight against climate change. We're already working together on the International Aviation Climate Coalition, on the Zero Emission Vehicle Transition Council, on green shipping corridors, and so much more. Because he's kind of a climate change guy. Like, this, is, he's making this role of climate change. But that's a new program, so there's going to be rulemaking and stuff for that. Uh, there's rulemaking for an equity program, which is— there's a lot of, um, in many cities across the United States, there's infrastructure that's built that basically separates black and brown communities from the rest of the community, where, you know, there was a former secretary of transportation named Anthony Fox who talked about how he couldn't order a pizza when he was a kid in his neighborhood because you couldn't get pizza delivered because there was this giant overpass blocking his neighborhood from the, I mean, which seems kind of crazy, but part of this bill would basically undo that or make you know these communities more accessible. So that's one of the a new program. yeah one of the examples I was thinking of too is is currently under uh, under deconstruction, which is this huge highway that goes right through the middle of Syracuse, mm-hmm. New York. Um, my uh, stepson is up in upstate New York in college, and you know when you travel through Syracuse, it just it really goes right through the middle of town, and they're 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 replacing it because it is it did exactly what you were discussing right there. It's fascinating, know? and it, it was it was sort of one of the eye opening parts of my beat to sort of realize the way federal policy has basically sort of marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're trying to fix that. It's not a ton of money, but it'll take rulemaking. It'll take bureaucracy. And some of these things take a lot of time. I mean, I was thinking when I was reporting the story about the 2018 FAA reauthorization bill, which 
by no means is of the scope of this legislation. Well, they're still trying to implement stuff Mm -hmm. from that. In fact, there's like three provisions from the 2016 FAA reauthorization that they're still working on. So some of this stuff, and it's got a ton of new mandates and requirements and things that require rules and bureaucracies, and these things don't always come overnight. So part of this bill is going to take a minute. Okay, so I mean— and sh- basically, just sort of in a nutshell, you've got the easy thing of like just cutting checks for programs that are already existing, like yes. repairing some bridges and doing that kind of stuff. And kind of the yeah. status quo stuff, if yeah. we're being honest. Yeah, really. like, like stuff that needs to be done but isn't super sexy. And doesn't of really fight yeah, climate change if we're being completely honest. Right, right. <laughs> and then there's this other these other programs, which, as you said, are addressing mm-hmm. equity issues, trying to make sure that, you know, highways don't cut off like, you know, minority mm-hmm. communities from the rest of a, of a city, climate change and, you know, broadband, all this kind of stuff that, and that's going to require rulemaking. And that requires, you know, the, 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 basically the red tape, the, the thing that everybody loves about government. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the thing that the government's so good at, right? Right. <laughs> so this is, this is, anyway, and you mentioned, you know, the, these two reauthorizations from 2016 and 2018, I mean, that's, you know, two other previous administrations, the yes, Obama administration and the Trump administration. Yeah, I mean, we're really covering the... So, I mean, bills take a long time to implement, especially right. when you're doing transformational. I mean, when they say that this is a generational investment in infrastructure, they are not being hyperbolic. Is that a word? Yes. They're, they're not speaking... It's one of my favorite hy- words. So, yeah, this, this is seriously... This is some serious dough. So, you know, the, the president is is sort of famous for whispering in President Obama's ear when he was vice president about the signing of the of uh, Obamacare, that this is a big effing deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly it was. I mean, like, the Affordable Care Act changed people's lives and also became a political um, sort of cudgel for both sides for since, <laughs> since, mm-hmm. since 2010. Uh, so this is... A BFD also, right? It is. And the I, BIF, I, the Bipartisan me, Infrastructure Package. Yeah, a, I haven't checked this out, so you may want to fact check me on this, but someone told me that Biden's granddaughter actually tweeted, hey, Grandpa, this is actually a BFD. <laughs> yeah, so, which is kind of, if that's true, that's awesome. Um, yes, so he, but, so now the key thing is he he needs to sort of do a couple things. Um, the midterms are coming up right. really quickly. So he needs to demonstrate some progress in order to show Americans that their lives are changed for the better because of this bill. It's one thing to say, hey, we passed this bill, that's great. But Americans need to have that perception that this is something that has helped them mm-hmm. and improved their lives. Biden was up in Baltimore uh, this week, and he was standing in front of all these, you know, uh, shipping containers. Port of Baltimore is one of the biggest shipping, uh, uh, you know, sort of ports uh, in in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he was making the the case that this would would help break the supply chain problems we're seeing, address inflation, all that kind of stuff. But last week, we uh, we took a, a monumental step forward as a nation. And we did something long overdue and long talked about in Washington, but almost never actually done. The House of Representatives passed my bipartisan infrastructure bill. Along with other plans that I'm advancing, this bill is going to reduce the cost of goods to consumers, businesses, and get people back to work. Is that is that hyperbolic also? I mean, it seems like that well, inflation and the supply chain is a very short-term thing, and this bill is a very long-term thing. I mean, thing. he better hope it helps it, because this is this is going to be a long—I mean, this is something that Americans are palpably feeling, and if they're feeling it in November of 2022, then he's going to have some problems. Um, 
the supply chain thing, I've been actually doing some reporting on that, and it's so complicated and so multi-layered that it, it would be easy to say, hey, guess what? The bipartisan bill is totally going to fix this. It's not going to totally fix it. There's a lot of different issues along the supply chain, and it's kind of pandemic-related, and it's not just here. Right. I mean, if you go to China, there are supply chain issues there. There were manufacturing issues where there were factories that were shut down. Um, they They can kind of pick around the edges to try to solve or address the problem, but I have yet to find anyone who's found the panacea for this, where you can just, you know, pull this lever and the supply chain problems are fixed. They have to just... Unre- I like... So, I don't know if you have... I think of jewelry, and I think of when you have a necklace that's all tangled, and you have to... You get this knot yep. undone, and then the next... And the, that's kind of what this is. Right. I mean, it's sort of... And some of it's private, you know, private companies. But the bottom line is shipping things is so much more expensive that I think that's affecting inflation as well. Um, You have people who want to pick up deliveries, but the containers under five other containers so the truck can't get... I mean, you don't have enough truck drivers. And that doesn't sound like this is going to be fixed necessarily. (laughs) No, (laughs) but... By by, by bipartisan infrastructure bill that takes rulemaking and new roads. No, and I mean, they'll dredge some ports, so mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, Love love dredging ports. Love dredging ports. I mean, you know, people people really get excited about that. Um, But yeah, uh, it it will help some things, Mm -hmm. but I don't think there's one thing that's going to help. I mean, it's going to take a little bit. And part of it's pandemic stuff. Sorry, we live in this time that's this historic... I mean, you live in interesting times. Right. We live in this time that, unfortunately, has caused these problems, among other things. Speaking of interesting, Secretary Pete, I want to call him Mayor Pete, you know, because, we got, <laughs> you know, again, this, the movie is, like, stuck that. You know, that mm-hmm. was that was part of his campaign sloganeering is, is he wanted to be known as a mayor uh, and so forth. I mean, you've covered, you covered his confirmation hearings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's an historic figure. He's the first openly gay uh, cabinet secretary to be confirmed by the by the Senate. Um, he's the first millennial, um, and he really digs talking about this stuff. I mean, he and when, I think I feel like when you have somebody who was as successful as he was in the presidential, you know, campaign. And granted, he didn't he didn't uh, um, he didn't win. He didn't win, but he also <laughs> didn't uh, quote unquote burn any bridges. Well, <laughs> and, uh, see what I did there? Yeah, uh, that was and, and and became this. A, a political figure that is also very comfortable in policy. What do you think? I mean, you, you mentioned you know you can see him on you know trying you know uh, climbing up on a bulldozer or something <laughs> like that. Actually, it's probably never a good idea to have funny hats or whatever when you're a politician. Just ask Michael Dukakis, right? But it's but it does seem like like Buttigieg is very comfortable being a, a kind of a policy nerd and a political animal. Is that true? I mean, is is it? Yeah. I mean, like you've you. You've seen him a lot, and you're with your perch as our transportation reporter. Yeah, every time you see these people, and it's like they're just sort of, it's like they're hatched from an egg. They're like this perfect little political creature. And he actually, you could make that argument if you could get, you know, parts of America who are uncomfortable with a gay man to be okay with that, um, or a young fella, because he is a young, I mean, he is a very. Yeah, he's 39 years old. Yeah, yeah. So. Yes, that's young listeners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, that is. I don't, do I remember? I think I remember 39. Um, yeah, so he is, he's very fluent in policy. Mm-hmm. As well he as eight other languages or something. Seems like Maltese or something. <laughs> yeah, he, well, yeah, he's fluent in a bunch of languages. He's one of these guys who, um, like he wanted to read, I, I can't remember what book, like a Swedish book or something? Yeah, yeah. Or Norwegian, I think. Norwegian, yeah. yeah. So, and then he just, so he learned the language, as one does. Right, totally. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, after this podcast, I'm just going to pick up like Serbo-Croatian or something. Yeah, you know, on why the not? Side. You know, we've got plenty of time to do that. Um, so, 
Yeah, so he is this, and he's very careful. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and he's pretty good. I mean, he's been an effective surrogate for Biden on the campaign trail and speaking out for, for you know, his policies and that sort of thing. It was interesting to see how things kind of unwound with this because at first he was way at the forefront. Whenever there was a negotiation, they trot out Mayor Pete and he would talk. And then that kind of went to the wayside for a while. It became more about like Brian Deese and these sort of people that you would- The White see. House legislative heavy Yeah, you see them walk office. down the hallway yeah. and it's not like they were immediately noticeable figures. Right. They didn't have the star power of Mayor Pete, but they were the ones who kind of handled a lot of this bipartisan negotiation. And he was sort of, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what are you doing? And he was calling lawmakers mm-hmm. and sort of doing the kind of behind the scenes glad, which is actually kind of an important thing to learn as well. Right. Um, particularly if you're a mayor who's coming into Washington for the first time and learning about these things. So that was his role. And now his role, I think, is going to be selling this to the American public and sort of creating the perception as things are ramping up that things are being done, even before, you know, you can actually start using the spatula to uh, fill in the potholes. (laughs) Well, uh, there is no one who I would uh, rather have uh, observing the spatula handling (laughs) Than you, Jess, and I. Pre- I bet you there's a better term. I'm going to look it up when I get off. Uh, but I appreciate you uh, kind of walking us through some of the challenges that are ahead. I mean, this is we're sort of at the at the beginning of a new beginning uh, for for this infrastructure stuff. But as I said, it's no longer a punchline, right? I mean, like yeah, I mean they've actually they've actually done it by God. I mean, it's almost unbelievable to say. So yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, for for talking with us, and uh, and now uh, we're going to uh, pivot to my conversation with. Jesse Moss, uh, whose film Mayor Pete is about this same transportation secretary that uh, Jess Werman and I have been discussing. When you approached Buttigieg and and Chaston about this, did you imagine that he was going to sort of vault to the to the front no. of the, no. the pack, I mean, I, you know, and with Iowa and so forth? I mean, I knew he was more than, let's say, like a, a Marianne Williamson, more than mm-hmm. like a novelty candidate. Right. Um, and that like he was like had legit credentials to be an up and comer in the party. Not necessarily legit credentials to be a, a, a serious presidential candidate, but mm-hmm. like a guy who was being talked about, he'd run for DNC chair. Right. You know, he, he obviously had intellectual pedigree. He was... Had, done good work in South Bend. So these, these are an interesting set of characteristics, yeah. but they don't make up a, a top-tier presidential candidate. But I think that, you know, I mean, good documentary work is like our big swings and um, risks. And I loved that, um, I loved a couple, well, two things. One was the, the, the possibility of access was kind of irresistible. The prospect of like being on the trail was a big deterrent. Um, because I think it's very hard to do good work, as you know, I'm sure. Especially and when it's zero degrees and Cedar Rapids. All of it. And it's the December. same It's the same stump speech you saw, you know, in yeah. somewhere else in Iowa. What are you going to get? Right. So there's a certain texture that's important, but mm-hmm. like the actual heart of the matter is it's hard to come to. And so um, I, but I, I like the idea. Well, one, that, that there was a kind of Capra-esque narrative that Pete was clearly retailing and mm-hmm. the South Bend turnaround and his own <clears throat> bona fides. And I thought, if there's one thing we know is the norms of presidential politics have been completely shattered. We got Obama in 08. We got Trump. I mean, can anybody be elected president? Why not a gay mayor from South Bend, Indiana? There, and there's this great scene where he he has a, I mean, it's, it's obviously something he's probably 
memorized a few times. It reminds me of Barney Frank's like left-handed Jewish you know, yeah. gay man, but but it's even more extensive. It's yeah. Maltese left-handed mayor, millennial, uh, you know, millennial yeah. gay veteran yeah. mayor. <laughs> it's like, like I'm your candidate, right? You checked all these boxes. None of them seem to make sense together, but to get they do kind of comprise something. And I guess it was, but in a substantive way, and this is what relates to Boy State. But I was interested in how he he did cut across these different. I was interested in the question of like finding a center in American life. I think we're all interested in this question. Like how, how, how are we going to find a way forward? We're so fucking divided, polarized, fractured, you know, broken to some degree. Like what, what is there healing? Can people speak to different factions across this wide divide that mm-hmm. we live with? And, you know, Pete struck me as being able to had done that to some degree was doing that by virtue of all the things that he made up in himself. Um, and as a candidate, I thought, you know, may, maybe this will translate. I mean, he clearly thought the same and other people did too. And, um, and, and I, I like the Capra esque kind of romance of the, the folly. Mm-hmm. And, um, I said, you know, sign me up. It's not going to go anywhere, but if the axis is real and like he gets any traction, there's a 1%, 1% or less chance he becomes president. 5% chance maybe he becomes, I'm not good at odds, but I say 5% he becomes nominee. Everything else is probably a disaster for me. But um, but I said, let's start and see if the access is for real. And the thing that it, it sort of develops into almost is a, it's like a, I mean, it's the story of this campaign, but it's also kind of a, a love story almost or, yeah. or a marriage story yeah. too. And I, I, I didn't see that happening until about like three quarters of the way through. And I was like, Oh wait, this is actually more like Pete and Chaston, not, not Pete. I mean, like this is a, this is very much a marriage that, that like they have discussed trade-offs and they've Mm -hmm. discussed who's going to put his career on hold Chaston. Uh, And, and I, I, did they ever express any regret about granting you that access when they're having those sort of moments that are very awkward, like when Chaston yeah. is challenging him on what he says or how he comes across and how much, how yeah. gay he's going to be in yeah. front of different crowds? Yeah, no, I'd say 100%. Uh, and it, it, um, I, I feel like the, the film is a kind of bait and switch. Uh, I think you go in expecting a certain conventional political narrative. And actually, it is a love story and it is a portrait of a marriage. And I love that it's actually it's a portrait of a marriage in which one of the partners happens to be running for president. I mean, if if you told, I didn't really, I wouldn't have formulated that pitch when we started the project, but I think what I discovered really quickly was like, that was my purchase in telling the story. I was interested in that. I, I was less interested in other things. And I connected with Chaston and immediately recognized that, that seeing Pete from Chaston's perspective and their relationship together was a sort of way to understand this somewhat inscrutable person who is mm-hmm. Pete, who's a remote person. And clearly Chaston understands him and knows him probably better than anybody other than his mother, you know, and, and I liked their interactions together. I saw pretty quickly that they felt very real to me. And one of the first scenes I filmed with them together was actually when Ch- Chaston is talking to Pete about the speech he gives at the victory fund about coming out. And it was like, I was like, there's nobody in the room, but me, I'm filming this scene. They've let me in. And it's like real. It's, heavy. it's real. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I don't, I didn't fully realize the degree to which the relationship sort of 
was the heart of the film until we got beyond the election of 2020. We had, we went into the edit room right after Pete dropped out, but um, we, I think we knew and recognized quickly that we were lost until we could get through the election and sort of look back and see what mattered most and to let go of some things that sentimentally you hold on to like, Oh, don't we really need that scene in Iowa? But no, you don't, no one cares. Right. I love at the end of the film, you know, we did that interview that we talked about that was done after he dropped out, but before the 2020 election. And I, for Pete was in an unusually reflective state of mind. And, and I, I love what he says. At Even the end. for him, that must be I, a I, lot deeper than like, <laughs> most mortals. <laughs> he, yeah. He was just, just, just willing to go there a little bit. And I, I do like what he says at the end of the film when he skips that rather long answer about, you know, when you're on the campaign trail and you're taking in people's pain, you know, and it's intense and real. And we see a little bit of it in the film, especially at the, town hall that's after, right after the shooting that's right you see him just taking all taking this. it yeah. and, and 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 that was a real issue because at the debate that followed immediately after that you know i just you just looked at him and you could feel that he had been he was kind of he was traumatized i thought um and um so but the but you know his articulation of of, of that so you could read it as a rationale for his restraint in, in but I, I did. I do think he's right to a degree that, like, you have to you have to find a way to contain it, yeah. and that's what makes it use, makes you useful as a, as a politician to people is that you're not you're not getting destabilized by it, I guess, or or, or whatever the you know. Uh, I mean, it has to. You have to feel it, you know. If you call the fire department, you don't want them to also be panicking about the fire in your house, right? Which is why the elevator scene is funny. You're like, well, <laughs> don't we want that guy with his button on the face? The trigger, um, he's calm. And there was another scene too, as far as his relatability, where from a, from a debate where Amy Klobuchar, you know, Minnesota yeah. senator, it says, yeah. you know, you're not in the arena, and yeah. he just, I mean, there's, it's the best clapback I've heard, you know, in know. a while, which is that maybe you know, yeah. running a city in the Midwest is not, yeah. you know, you yeah. know, as prestigious as you think but yeah. you know, we're we're used to senators thinking that they're more important i mean and if that town hall appearance <laughs> after the police shooting is not the arena then what is right, right. i mean that is a right. tough tough place that's right I, I, that's a strong moment and, and that they had interesting tension on the debate stage those two uh she just seemed to like she couldn't stand him <laughs> yeah it, it it's it is it was interesting i mean i watched so many of these debates yeah. and, and seeing the dynamic that so many people didn't know what to do with him yeah. And that Biden was able to just sort of kind of keep going past past him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know whether that was because Biden liked him already. Yeah. And was already thinking, like, I'm not going to lose to this kid. And, yeah. And I'll tap him for the cabinet. <laughs> but it's true. Pete, Pete never, unlike Kamala, never attacked him directly in the debate. Um, yeah. 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 There's a, there's a nice scene between them at the Iowa State Fair. Where, and it seems genuine where he says, like, yeah. well, such a great guy. You know, he says... Well, and, it and, does seem and, genuine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what other interactions they... Actually, I filmed a nice interaction with him and, him and uh, Kamala and, and her husband, Doug Emhoff, um, in, in New Hampshire. Uh, those were, I mean, those sort of nice serendipitous moments. You know, we didn't spend a lot of time on what other candidates were up to um, 
because it was sort of to get lost in the weeds a little well, bit. Well, with 20 of them, you'd have you'd end up yeah. with a nine-hour movie or something, or, or a 10-hour movie. Yeah, um, but it was nice that, that Biden does show up and with that cameo. And you do sense I mean, something that pays off later, that there is some kind of chemistry there, I think. Yeah. It's real. Or, or uh, and, you know, Biden seems to get also the, the coalition, if you will, that the Democratic Party is... It's got to have younger people. Yeah. It's got to have, it, it has to keep, you know, a lane for as many constituencies as possible, whether yeah. whether it's blacks, women, yeah. gays. I mean, like, like there's, yeah. he's, I think he is more acutely aware of that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what hurt him in 2016 a little uh-huh. bit, you know, I mean, he did, didn't run obviously, but yeah. I think there was this yeah. sort of whisper campaign, like this guy is old news and he doesn't yeah. get what the new democratic party is about. Right. Right. And yeah. he probably understood it better than most people. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's the bigger conversation that will hopefully come out of the film in part, which is like, what is the future of the party? Who will lead the party? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just going to be one person, but um, what, what should that person look like? I mean, I like that question that's asked in debate prep that is some, I think one of his aides says, you know, Amy Klobuchar said, I think that, you know, if you were a, 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 a woman, like you wouldn't be getting this kind of attention, you know. I think that I, I think that's that's what what the statement is, um, and I think that you know he 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 sometimes. I mean that answer he he you know he has a good enough answer for that I think, but but he does sometimes struggle. I, I mean the scene in that church in in Dallas where he's challenged um, about white privilege. About white privilege. I mean I just I think that that's. Um, you know, I, 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 the, the film is not, you know, I, I respect Pete, you know, uh, and I like Pete. I spent a lot of time with him and found him to be a very kind person. And um, I do uh, value what the campaign stood for and its message of inclusion and belonging. Um, but also, you know, needed to be honest about the moments that were hard, you know, when he got called out, you know, and uh, I think they're real. Um, have he and Chastin seen the movie? They have. Yeah. yeah. What kind of feedback did they get? Uh, you know, I think Pete would have preferred to see more policy in the film. <laughs> of course he would. Right. Uh, you need some more charts. <laughs> Justin, maybe just more of himself in the film. I, I don't know. It's a good place to stop. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Thank you.